Well, good morning. He's, he's excited. I'm glad. Uh, meanwhile, I'm, I'm way worn. Just got back from Yosemite Bible Camp yesterday morning. And uh, that was a week. Uh, late nights, early mornings, I had all the, the, the youngest campers in uh, cabin one with me. And so uh, most of them survived. But uh, uh, I'm still recuperating. I'm mosquito bit and sleep deprived. Um, working on the sleep deprived part. Last night I got a full 11 hours, so working on that. We continue our series, God v. Church. We are looking at the seven letters that our Lord sent to the churches in Asia Minor. And we make it this morning to Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6, to talk about the church in Sardis, a church which needed to get woke. And so we're going to talk about this church this morning, what they needed to do, and what it means for us today. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's read our text this morning. Again, these are the words of Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Indeed, Father, we want ears that hear and so give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, what the Spirit is saying even to us today as the church of Christ. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. There is a movement afoot, a woke movement. Woke is a modern slang term for social awareness, especially as it pertains to activism. It suggests rage and resistance against the unacceptable, however that is defined. And so woke and wokeism is being promoted these days through media, through the arts. And it has the appearance of being alive, but it is dead. The reason for this is because to be woke today usually means embracing critical theory, 
the Marxist philosophy which classifies people according to the categories of the oppressed and the oppressors. Critical race theory divides people along racial lines based on skin color. Those with less melanin in their skin, that is to say those who are white, are oppressors. While those with more melanin in their skin, that is black people, they are the oppressed. There's no redemption, no atonement, no full satisfaction to be made, and that's due to the fact that since you can't change your skin color, you will always be an oppressor. This is a philosophy of death. And there are those who say that the church needs to embrace critical theory, especially critical race theory. However, I am persuaded that God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. His very great promises are contained within this book. And so that means that Christ plus critical race theory is too much. What could critical theory have to offer the church? Well, it actually offers quite a bit. It offers us division. It offers us heartache. It offers us a gospel which is intended to save systems rather than sinners. It offers us a redefinition of Christ as a victim of systemic injustice rather than the foreknown, predestined, and willing sacrifice for sinners. Go back and read Isaiah 53, verse 10, Acts 2, verse 23, Acts 4, and verse 27, and 1 Peter 1, and verse 20. And you will see that Christ was, his death was unjust, but it was also according to the definite plan and foreknowledge and eternal purpose of God Almighty. As others have said, when you get woke, your theology gets broke. And we see that happen again and again today. Rather than allowing theology to determine if wokeness is a path for the church and whether or not we should pursue it, what happens is theology is placed in service to wokeness. So what does this have to do with Sardis? Well, Jesus calls the church in Sardis to wake up. And I believe His words come ringing down the pathway of years to us today even to wake up. But wokeness, as defined today, is not the call of wake up from Jesus. They're two different things. Let's take a closer look, shall we? To the angel. We also, we've talked about how that can also mean messenger. The angel of the church in Sardis. What do we know about Sardis? It's actually about uh, 55 miles away from Ephesus, still in the Asia Minor uh, part of the world in that time. And it was part of what was called the Kingdom of Lydia. And there's a, there's a lot that's actually said about Lydia uh, in the Old Testament. But in the 6th century B.C., 600 years, or approximately 600 years before Jesus walks the planet, it was one of the most powerful cities in the known world. It was well fortified, easily defended, 
And the reason for that was because it was actually built on a mountain that was 1,500 feet tall, and so the city sat at, the 15, at 1,500 feet uh, up. And when the city was attacked, the people would flee up into the mountain, and they just lived there for a while, and they could survive just about any siege that people would bring against them uh, because there was only really one way up that mountain if you were going to attack it. It was a very immoral city. It was devoted to the goddess Sybil, the goddess, uh, the god of frenzy. And they believed she possessed power to restore people back to life. Well, guess what? Here is Jesus, the one who became dead but is alive forevermore, saying, Sybil ain't got nothing on me. Who, are, who is the one who speaks here? It is the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. Notice this. The seven spirits of God. That is, these are God's seven spirits. And Jesus says, I got those. Which is Jesus drawing an equal sign between him and God. He is 100% fully deity. We talked about this. His deity is on display again and again. Now, you run across these seven spirits of God also in chapter 4 and verse 5 where John, in the vision, he sees from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder before the throne, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. You get it also in 5 and verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. You see it again. It is the Lamb who has these seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Jesus, of course, is that Lamb. And so the deity, the divinity of Jesus is all over the place. Those who say that Jesus is not fully God simply are ill-informed about what the Scriptures teach. Jesus says He has what belongs to God. Therefore, in order to have that, he must, by definition, be God. But also, he's got these seven stars, and we've come across this earlier, uh, back in uh, chapter 1. The seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, the seven lampstands, they are the seven churches. Uh, and so, Jesus, he says, I hold those seven stars in my right hand. 1 and verse 20. And so we have more of this language of the, the church and how they are His. They're His body. They're His bride. And so these are the words of Jesus. And notice He knows their works. He knows the work of His church. He knows the work of Sardis. And we've seen this before in these epistles. Jesus says, I know your works. I know usually where you live. I, Jesus knows. And Notice, though, this one's a little different. Usually he says, I know your works. You guys are doing your best. You live, I know where you live. It's hard to live in Satan's throne or, or uh, under the oppressive and persecution that, uh, conditions that you are living under. But this isn't a good thing here for Sardis. I know your works. He says, you have the reputation. Your translation may say you have a name of being alive but you're dead. 
They claim to be alive, but they're dead. They're a dead church, Jesus says. Jesus says this. Jesus says, you're all a bunch of fakers. You're putting on your religious mask. You're pretending like you're alive, and yet you're dead. When it's convenient, maybe, when it's popular, you masquerade as though you truly are Christians, as though you really are my church. But Jesus, He knows the heart. And He knows you're putting on a front. Jesus knows the heart. And He knows that these are fakers. They are hypocrites. They wear the mask. Now, Jesus has a similar thing. He said a similar thing during His ministry back in Matthew chapter 23. When He was condemning the religious leaders of His day, woe unto you, and He, he, he pronounces woe after woe upon the religious leaders. One of the woes in verses 27 and 28 of Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, but outwardly, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within or inwardly, you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying to the church in Sardis. You're hypocrites. Outwardly, you look pristine, but you're whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead people's bones. You have a reputation that does not match the reality, because I know. I know. And so, verse 2, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains. And it's interesting, because there's a, I believe there's a, a historical connection here to the city of Sardis. Remember, I mentioned Sardis was, was built on a mountain. And in the year 546 B.C., Cyrus laid siege to the city of Sardis. Of course, a city that's on a, an open plain, well, it's easily defeatable. But a city on a hill, much more difficult to take. That's what happened with Sardis. Sardis, three sides of Sardis were unscalable. You couldn't get up, you couldn't climb it, and the other side... That was a death trap for any advancing army. The city would see you coming, and they would defend that one pathway uh, very easily. So what was Cyrus to do? His men were getting kind of tired of being there, and they realized we're not going to be able to take the city anyway. Well, one night, it just so happened that a guard in the city of Sardis dropped his helmet, and it came falling down that mountain. This soldier, he, he went down to retrieve it, and wouldn't you know it, when he made his way back up, he showed the one pathway, virtually invisible to the untrained eye, the one pathway back into the city of Sardis. He showed Cyrus how to get in there. And that's exactly what they did. Under the cover of darkness, they went in. What they found was the people of Sardis were, were so complacent and comfortable with their defenses, they didn't even have a guard at that one entrance into the city, and Cyrus easily took the city. About 200 years later, Antiochus Epiphanes shows up on Sardis's doorstep as well. He did the same thing. While they slept, he crept into the city and took over. And so here is Jesus, and he is basically saying, look, don't you realize you left the door open 
for the devil. Satan has crept in and he's conquered. There's a, there's a little remnant. We're going to talk about the remnant in just a moment. And so you guys need to wake up. You need to wake up to the fact that you have allowed these evil forces to creep in. Strengthen what's left, Jesus says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, just like the rest of y'all. Those few, that, that remnant of Christians, they're still holding on to Christ. They're still holding on to the purity of the gospel, unmixed with anything else. And so you need to strengthen that. Otherwise, they're going to die just like the rest of you. And I, I, that seems to be a spiritual thing. You are spiritually dead because of what's going on. You have works that are not complete. They are incomplete works. I believe the half-brother of Jesus, James, would have heard these words and said, Amen, brother. Because over in James chapter 2, verse 17, he writes, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 26 of James 2, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith without works. In other words, incomplete works as well would fall under this. That's dead faith. That's dead weight. An incomplete works that produces an incomplete faith. And really, they're works that have not lived up to the standard of God. And so you need to wake up, but you also, verse 3, need to remember. Remember then what you received and heard. What is it, you, what is it they received? They had not received some other foreign philosophy or doctrine. What Jesus is referencing here is the gospel and the pure doctrine of the gospel. That's what these Christians had received. And so you need to remember what you received. You need to remember the doctrine, what you heard, the teaching you heard from the apostles and from the prophets of the church. And notice, remember, that means that they knew it. They had heard it. And now they're supposed to bring it back front and center in all of its purity. Apostolic doctrine. The Word of God. That is what this church needed. It's what this dead church needed. In order to get woke, as Jesus defines wokeness. It was not social commentary or political commentary. It was not current theories and movements. It was not the latest activist cause. What was needed was the unadulterated apostolic doctrine and the Word of God. Granted, there are some aspects of being woke that are good, that are worthy of our consideration, but only because they comport with God's Word. For example, we are to be people who seek justice. We are to be people who love our neighbor. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. What is it the Lord requires of you? To do justice. To love mercy. Of course, I mean... That's not just being woke. That's, that's just that's humbly walking with God, right? 
That's the missing component, I am persuaded, in a lot of the wokeism that we see today. Doing social good, doing justice for the glory of God. Disconnected from God, wokeism is merely empty moralism. And so, remember and repent. Keep it, what you heard, what you received, keep it and repent. In other words, do what it says. Don't just merely be a hearer of the word, do what it says. Again, James saying, amen, Jesus. James 1 and verse 22, go back to God's teaching, turn to God, repent, put what you heard and what you heard into practice. And you need to do it right now. Because if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. Christ and, and His coming in judgment. That's a, that's a common theme throughout Scripture. The coming of the Lord. You see Him come in time and space in, in judgment upon nations historically. Whether it's Egypt or Babylon or Assyria. But here Jesus is saying, I'm going to come in judgment on even you, my dead church. Which really isn't my church anymore. And he's going to come like a thief. Do you know what time the thief comes? No. Doesn't call ahead and say, hey, I'm coming at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Since you don't know what time he's coming, you need to remember and repent right now. Do it now. Don't wait. And so here's the sequence for revival of a dead church. Wake up. Remember. Repent. By the way, this is nothing new. Nehemiah does it in his day. Go back and read Nehemiah. and He stirred in his spirit. And, and, and in a similar way, he stirs up the people of God. They wake up. And then they remember the law. They bring it out in Ezra. He reads it to the people for half the day. And then they repent. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, they pray this prayer where they confess their sins. Nationally, collectively, individually, we have sinned. Wake up, remember, repent. That is what it means to revive the church. And in a similar way, that's what is needed today for Christ's church. If we would pursue revival, we wake up, and it's not get woke as defined today as kind of the social awareness, but wake up to the truth of God's Word Wake up to the gospel. Wake up to Christ. Awake, you who sleep, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Wake up, and then remember, go back to the book. Unpolluted, undefiled, unmixed with anything else. Go back to Scripture and repent. Turn to God. That's what even our Lord Jesus calls us to do. You won't know what hour I will come against you. That's why this is such an urgent call from Christ. And so, verse 4, yet you have, and here's more of this remnant business, right? You have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. It's interesting, the, just the way this is phrased. Uh, in the first century, the, the contemporary scene, cities would have a, a registry that they would, they would log people's names in. 
And so here's Jesus saying, you have a few names, a few people still on the registry here that, uh, that, that belong to me, to, his, to Christ's registry, people who have not soiled their garments. These are a few who are not fakers. They're not hypocrites. They are genuine disciples. And, and so that means they don't have a soiled garment. And the idea here, it's a, it's a sim, it's symbol, symbolic language for sin. When we become a Christian and we are baptized into Christ, have all of our sins washed away, we receive a white garment, pure and undefiled, a white garment of righteousness. This shows up later on in the book of Revelation as well. When, when John sees in the vision, saints, they're usually wearing white, white linen. It's a symbol of moral purity. To sin, then, would be to defile. I, I've illustrated it this way before, how it's kind of like a, like a bride in a beautiful white re- wedding dress. Sin would be to squirt ketchup and mustard all over that dress. That's why Jesus talks about you've not, they've not soiled their garments. They've not gone after things that they should not, uh, the, the things that they should not be going after. In pagan cultures, there may be a touch of irony here, in pagan cultures, the worshiper could not draw near to their gods with soiled garments. How much more? If, if that's the level of purity you want to keep for these gods, which are really no gods at all, How much more the true God should we seek to keep our garments unpolluted and undefiled from sin? He says, they they walk with me in white. They are worthy, he says. Worthy walkers. And that business of being worthy, it has to do with having been weighed. And in this case, there's nothing lacking. Whereas for the rest of the members of this church. They have been weighed and found wanting. There's nothing lacking. For these few, their works, Jesus is saying that they're complete. They are complete. They're, they're full. And notice, you can trace this all throughout your Bible. God always saves a remnant. Even in dying churches, there is always a remnant of those who are doing what they should be doing walking in a manner worthy of their calling. And so here is Jesus, and He's saying, look, you can be part of that remnant, but you have to wake up, you have to remember, you have to repent. Otherwise, all that remains is judgment. We see also a bit more here. Remember I mentioned earlier about how there is this focus in critical theory upon systems. And when you mix that with the gospel, what you get is kind of what uh, a, a lot of liberal theologians promote. And ultimately it means that Christ, when He came into this world, He came in order to save super-personal beings. This would be things like corporations or nation-states or economic systems or political systems. But as I mentioned earlier, Christ did not come to save systems. He came to save sinners. That's what He said. And we see it here again. He came for people, not for programs. That is why the Son of God willingly 
left heaven, sent by the Father to accomplish redemption. And so, 3 verse 5, the one who conquers. The one who conquers will be clothed thus, in this way. Will be clothed in white garments. The one who conquers, your translation may say the one who overcomes. And in the context, overcoming, conquering, what that means is, wake up. Remember the apostolic doctrine and repent. Turn to God and do what He says. If, if, if the church in Sardis, this dead church, if they'll do this, Jesus says, first of all, I'm going to give you these white garments, white clothing, which is what every Christian should want. Defilement is going to produce division. Certainly between brothers and sisters, but especially between people and God. Isaiah says that your sins have separated you. They've made a separation between you and God. That's what sin does. These white garments, that division goes away. You have purity, moral purity, and you can have fellowship with God. Jesus goes on, he says, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I won't blot out his name. The book of life, very important book throughout Scripture, shows up all over the place, goes all the way back to Exodus and runs all the way into Revelation 20. Those whose names are not written in the book of life, all they have to look forward to is second death in the lake of fire. We want our names in that book, the book of life. If you don't have your name in the book of life, what does it mean? It means you don't go to heaven. It means you don't spend eternity with God. The reference to being dead, that should have struck a chord with these Christians, with these people, and especially this business of the name. We talked about that a moment ago. These cities would keep a registry of those people in town, a list of citizens. When you died in that city, guess what they did with your name? You scratch it off. You don't live there anymore, right? And so here's Jesus saying, if you're a dead Christian... If you're a dead church, I'm scratching your name out. Name is taken off the register. Wow, serious business. So what do you do? Here's, again, wake up, remember, repent. That's what Jesus tells us to do. But then one more thing. Not only the white garments and the name that is never scratched out of the book of life, it's never blotted out. Jesus says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Here is open acknowledgement by Jesus. Are you ready for this? In the very throne room and presence of God the Father, with all the angels, he knows your name. He knows your name, and your name is known in heaven. Wow. But it's for the one who overcomes. It's for the conqueror. Less than that, well, it's kind of what Jesus says in Matthew 7. I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a typical way that Jesus ends these epistles, these short little postcards, as it were. Listen up. Listen up. Are you listening? 
And again, are we listening today? We have everything we need for life and godliness. What is required is that we wake up, that we're stirred within our spirits, by the Spirit. We go back and we remember the things that we have received, the apostolic doctrine, the Word of God, and we turn wholeheartedly to God in repentance. That's what Jesus calls, that's what He called His church to do in the first century. It's what He continues to call His church to today. You want to be a woke church? This is what it means. Not some other kind of philosophy of the day. This is what it means to be a woke church. I'll tell you this right now. That for many people that may be watching this or, ha- or will watch this on the internet, for many in our culture, in our time, this is not a popular thing. But this is exactly what Jesus says. Nothing more, nothing less. Anything more would be too much. Anything less would be too less. Let's commit this to prayer. As we prayed, Father, earlier, Give us ears to hear. We want to hear what the Spirit says, and more than that, we want to not just be hearers, we want to be doers. Stir within us, within our spirits, by Your Spirit, a desire and an appetite for Your Word that we may turn wholeheartedly to You. We pray for revival we know that you are unfailingly faithful in providing for us. May we, in turn, be faithful to what you call us to, that we may see true, genuine revival in Jesus' name right here where we live and move and have our being because of you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Again, Jesus is writing to Christians church in Sardis. And His Word is applicable for us today, brothers and sisters, as Christians. As you take inventory, are you awake? Are you woke as Jesus defines it? Or do you need to wake up? My brother, my sister, hear the words of Christ. The invitation is from Him, as always. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And maybe you are stirred in your spirit. Praise God for that. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. And you hear the words of Christ today, and you remember, of course, what you have heard, what you've received, but you need to repent. In a moment, when Russ leads us, you know that's your opportunity to come. Come forward and and express these things on your heart. We're going to gather around you. We're going to pray with you and love on you. And all of this in anticipation of coming to the table, the table of our Lord, in the sparkling white garments that He provides for us by His blood. That's what's very interesting about those white garments. You get them by having them dipped in the blood of Jesus. Maybe, my friend, you're here in... And you need to wake up for the first time. You need to wake up and allow Christ to shine on you, to shine in your heart. In a moment when Russ leads us, 
That'll be your opportunity to come and express how you desire to be raised up with Christ. As we talked about a few moments ago, what that means is, it does mean you confess Jesus Christ as, as Lord, even Lord of your life. It means turning away from doing things your way and turning to God to do things His way. That's repentance. And it means being baptized, immersed in water, to have all of your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. If we can help you with that this morning, again, in a moment, just come forward and, and express that desire. You can be raised with Christ, having been united with Christ, raised to live a new life. Maybe there's some other concern that's weighing upon your heart, your mind this morning, my brother, my sister. We can pray with you about that as well. The lesson is yours. The invitation is open. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing? The cross upon which Jesus